And then you uh, go further through Revelation and you read 28 times as John's reflection of Jesus calling him the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. 28 times you will find him refer to the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain. If you think Israel wanted a king to come and, you know, their prophetic, um, their prophets, they, they were expecting through the prophetic words a victorious king riding through, slaying the Romans. And here we see the Lamb of God slain. It, Revelation will say before the foundation of the world, the Lamb on the throne, worthy is the Lamb. Revelation 5, he's on the throne. He makes us white and clean. We sang, didn't we? He, this morning we sang that song which said, he washes away all fear and failure. He washed the Lamb of God, Jesus, slain, washes all your fear and all your failure away. All your sins, all your rubbish. He washes it, all your fears. We've learned, I've learned so much about the fears I've had in my life, you know, since growing up. I'm 50 years old now, and God has dealt with fear after fear after fear that I didn't realize I had, and that we live by. You know, the coping mechanisms we live by to produce, to stop, or to cope with fear. We all do it. Jesus was really hard on hypocrites, which in the Greek word means actors. We act. We're, we're skilled actors, many of us. I've been a skilled actor in my life to cope with certain fears. You know, I've told you before, I've bit my nails for 45 years. Or for 40 years. Because of fear and anxiety in my life. I didn't know where it came from. I didn't even know I had it. Just as God has brought revelation to me, I've seen that. He's the Lamb of God who overcomes the world. And do you know what? He enables us to overcome the world through the blood of his sacrifice. And our testimony, wasn't it great of testimonies this, this morning? You know, I loved Sally's testimony of her children coming back to faith. We prayed for that the other week here. I led a prayer about that. And um, just because I'd been in Mexico and bumped into a guy who'd been part of our church for four years, who, who <laughs> unbelievably, uh, who had backslidden. And we knelt with him in the beach bar in Mexico, bringing him back to the crossroads, right? <laughs> and going, this is who you are in God, prophesying him into his life who he is. Who he's called to be in God. Now, you know, I'm still in touch with him. And I'm still on the journey 
bringing him back. This book is about the Lamb of God. This book has as its center Jesus, who's on the throne. This book is about the King, who is a Lamb, who was slain for your sin, your failure, and your fears. It's about Jesus. I love Jesus. Secondly, you have to, my wife's not here, right? I've got 13 minutes. Keep me on track, somebody, because I'm not looking at my watch and I get carried away. Um, this book is about the marriage of the church to the bridegroom, Jesus. This book is about <laughs> a marriage supper, a wedding feast. One day, he's coming back for his bride. Do you know what? We're his bride. That's crazy, isn't it? We had two weddings in our family last year. Here's one of them, Nicola and John. Woohoo! They're celebrating. A year ago, um, this weekend, the bank holiday weekend, they got married. And um, is that right? Near enough? Yeah, oh, good. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> got that right <laughs> and um, you, you know watching my beautiful daughters who I think were perfect get ready being part of a house and um, of seeing them adorn themselves with uh, dresses making themselves look beautiful I think they're beautiful anyway, but makeup enhances that beauty. So does alcohol, but <laughs> but we prefer makeup. <laughs> does the same job. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, sorry. Um, but... Um, but just understanding we're betrothed to him as a church. But, but not like we would understand betrothal. Engagement here is pretty fluid. It's not as strong as betrothal was in the Jewish culture. So understand this. When you were betrothed, it was a contract. All right? You were going to get married. There was a waiting period and consummation made finalized the marriage so the sex finalized and made it that you were married but you were betrothed in one sense you were almost married apart from consummation and consummation sealed it so boy was it a shock for Joseph when Mary boy was it a shock to the community when Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This was not how we would view it. The culture was very different. So in our betrothal to the bridegroom, it's really important for us to walk wisely. To walk wisely in how we live. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 5. You'll see that he says, A whole number of things. So he talks about 
In this passage, he talks about (laughs) being filled with the Spirit, not with wine. Can I say this, that in our culture, and often in church culture, we substitute wine for the Holy Spirit. Our coping mechanism can be alcohol. For some people, a part part of us, that has been the case. It's not anymore. But I just, I want us to be wise in that area. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Walk wisely. And then he begins to talk about the relationship Between husbands and wives. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Really saying the same thing. This is about love. He actually says as well, submit to one another. And then he says this amazing phrase. He said in 532, this mystery is great. I'll tell you, marriage is a bit of a mystery, isn't it? Those of us who've been married or, or are married... Um, I'm still married, um, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the uh, Christ and the Church. It's a mystery. This is part of the mystery of Revelation. We are betrothed to Him. This is a marriage, and we have to be really wise how we walk. Think about this. When you read in Revelation 2 to 4, um, and it, he was, John was writing to the churches saying, look, this is what you're like. You've been really faithful. Do you know what? But you've lost your first love. You've endured persecution, but you've begun to compromise. You were once alive, but you're now pretty dead. <laughs> you, you once could see things, but you need a bit of, you know, cream for your bad eyes. And you're not hearing very well. I think it's the same thing. He's saying, walk wisely, church. Walk wisely. You're my betrothed. You loved me with your whole heart at one stage. What's going on? I, I wonder the things. I was thinking about this. I don't know whether you do. I mean, just what are the things? What are the characteristics? What are the things that City Church or the church in Worcester? Let's just think of City Church. What are the things that, you know, if the Lord was to write to us, I think he'd say, you're a generous church. You're a welcoming church. You're a praying church. You're a church that takes risks. You're a church that wants to see the city won. Wants to see your neighbours find Jesus. I wonder if we're walking wisely. I wonder what he'd say to the angel of the church over us. I liked that as well. I like that he writes to the angel of the church in different places. Isn't that amazing? We've got an angel 
that represents us, that is over us, that is, that is part of us, that is aiding us. I, I think that's quite incredible. I like it. In, I'm always struck by the story of Esther. In Esther, is it, is it chapter 2? Just to refer to my notes. That Esther has to prepare to go before the king. One moment before the king. She takes 12 months to prepare. Six months. Purity. Six months. Beautifying. 12 months to prepare for one encounter. 12 months to prepare for one moment with the king. I think we need to walk wisely. And I think we need to make sure that we're well prepared for our encounter with the king. Five minutes. The final thing. There's a day coming. Joel referred to it. That great and terrible day. Great because we're going to meet him face to face. But terrible because it becomes a day of judgment. A day where everybody has to face Jesus. And face and decide what they've done with him. Done with this lamb. There's a growing move towards universalism in the country, in the world, as part of people's thinking and teaching. I I think it's pretty dangerous. There's a day coming where we have to account. Jesus spoke about it. Read Matthew 13. He spoke on the parable of the wheat and the tares. He brought the explanation. Final day, this is what's going to happen. The wheat, the angels will come and harvest the wheat and separate it from the tares. The tares will then be chucked into a fire and there will be gnashing of teeth. That is a terrible day when that happens. And that grabs my heart. You know, when my kids were born, I went to God. And God spoke to me out of the passage that Sally in Acts 2 quoted this morning. The promise is to you and to all your children. Your children and your children's children. I don't want my kids facing that terrible day. Nor my grandkids. We're on our knees for our grandkids. And for the one that's in Rachel's belly. We are. We're praying for them. Because I don't want any of them lost. And I know none of you want any of your kids or your relatives. You know, we were sad the other day. One of our neighbours across the road is collapsed and is in hospital. We have shared the gospel with her. It would break my heart if she were to pass without finding Jesus. That's what I'm concerned about. Concerned about our health. But I know we've got many people in the city like that. 
But there is a day. Come and read it. Matthew 13. Go again. Read it. Many. Read it. Revelation 20. I mean, the lake of fire is referenced about 18 times in Scripture. It's a serious day. It's a serious time for people to make a decision. We had somebody say this morning, yeah, Jesus, I want Jesus. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond again. Because we have to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. He's the central character in Revelation. But he's the center of our universe. Who do you say that he is? Who is he? Who do you say that I am? I want to read you something from a book that I'm reading by Brennan Manning, not Bernard Manning. That would be a very different book. <clears throat> the only valid reason I can think of for living is Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus who is a magnetic field for so many Christians and a stumbling block for countless others? The Council of um, Chalcedon in 451 AD answered that he is the incarnation of the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Contemporary theology offers varied answers. Jesus is the man for others, the ethical liberator, the personal saviour, the human face of God. Artists and poets speak of Jesus the clown, the mythological man and the superstar. To the question, but who do you say that I am? Many church people and theologians are well able to say what answer has been given by Mark and Luke and Augustine and Thomas and Luther and Calvin. Other people cannot answer on our behalf. Or supply us with the appropriate images, concepts and expressions. That would not be our response to the parable that is the life of Jesus. Each of us is confronted with this lived parable. How do we interpret him? No one else. Neither the historical disciplines, nor theology, nor even the first Christians, nor yet the church's magisterium can answer that question for us. As we hear the parable, the question is put to us whether we will bet our life on it. What are we doing with Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Let's pray. I know Richard gave um, an appeal earlier. But the question is still there for me. Who do you say Jesus is? And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him again. If you didn't, if you felt your heart beating when Richard was speaking and you, you didn't stick up your hand, I want to give you the opportunity now to stick up your hand. If you want to respond to Jesus, if you want to receive him, and you didn't last time when Richard said, 
Can you just stick up your hand now? And to us as a church and a community. I want to ask you the question. Who is he to you now? I want to give you the opportunity just to respond to him in your heart. To make him Lord of your life, not part of your life. There's a difference. Is he driving your car or is he in the back seat where you occasionally reference him? I want to give you the opportunity this morning to prepare yourself for the amazing encounter that you're going to have with him. Where we together, his bride, will join him. where we'll need no light switches anymore. Where there'll be no sickness, no pain, no tears. There'll be life in all its fullness and abundance. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So Jesus, we just respond to you. We just give ourselves again to you. Our hearts are completely for you. And we know one day we will meet you. And until that day, we commit ourselves to loving you, to seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.